Unbelievable. When these men from the east, these wise men, came to me saying, where is the one born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. I am Herod. I am the king of the Jews. I should have thrown their astrological posteriors in prison right then and there. But they seemed to know where and how to find this new little political threat of mine. So I let them go exploring. Well, if this little baby is who they say it is, the scribes say from the Hebrew scriptures that he is to be the Messiah born of the house of Judah and the line of King David. Well, the line of King David ended hundreds of years ago. My family, the descendants of Esau, are now the ruling dynasty in Israel today. And nothing, especially no child, is ever going to change that. Now, I've heard some crazy and absurd things from educated people in my day. I'm sure you have too. But these guys, they take the fruitcake. They came to me saying that we saw his star rise over here. They're from the east and we're in the west. And every one of us knows stars do not rise in the west. They rise in the east and they set in the west, right? And then second, they're promoting some new religious sect, baby worship. What has this baby done? Nothing. Nothing. Maybe number one and number two and his mom is proud, but nothing. It's me who's rebuilt the towns and the cities of Israel. It's me who's restored the holy temple to a grandeur that even King Solomon would admire. He would say to me, Herod, Mazel Tov, congratulations, you outdid me. You're darn right. History is going to remember this guy. And who has kept the bloodthirsty Romans off their backs? It's been my neck on the line the whole time. Ungrateful wretches. Well, hear me now. No troublemakers from the east and no baby whom the Jews believe to be their mythological Messiah is going to mess up what I have built or disturb what I am trying to do here. I'll kill any one of them who tries. Well, the sky's cleared. And all of a sudden, the wise men said, we have to go to Bethlehem. Well, that's five miles south. I said, go ahead. Go to Bethlehem. Find the location of the child and his family. Because I want to go to and pay my respects and present to him my little gift. <sighs> mm. Pepper. Must have been the falafels I ate. What? They've already left Bethlehem? They're returning home? They're not coming back here to me. They defied me. Assemble my 
guard and get my horse. We're going to Bethlehem right now. Bethlehem's a small town. This won't take very long, maybe one afternoon. <clears throat> Hello, ma'am. King Herod here. I just wanted to know if you had seen any strangely dressed men from the east, maybe Babylon, maybe Persia, you know, pointy toes, silky pants, baggy pants, silky shirt, diaper on their head. Just wanted to know if you had seen them here in Bethlehem. You have. Wonderful. Everybody saw them. Hmm. Is that a child? Is it a boy? Do you mind if I hold him? Oh, look, Captain. So cute. So sweet. So adorable. Why don't you take him out to the troops and let them admire him as well? Thank you, ma'am. You may want to shut the door for this one. Christmas Day Their old familiar carols play And mild and sweet their songs repeat Of peace on earth, goodwill to men And the bells they ring in Like a choir, they're singing peace on earth. In my heart, I hear them please on earth. Goodwill to men. But in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But the bells are ringing peace on earth, like a choir they're singing peace on earth. Does anybody hear them?
from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chance sublime. A peace on earth could will to man. And the bells are ringing peace on earth. strong and it mocks this song of peace on earth goodwill to men those are the words that were written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow on Christmas Day 1863 right in the middle of a civil war two years earlier his wife had been burnt to death in a tragic accident when somebody burnt their home to the ground. Earlier that year in 1863, Longfellow didn't want his children to be a part of the war. And his son, against his father's will, joined the Union Army to protect our nation in March of that year and in November was wounded and lay between life and death. And on Christmas Day, Longfellow wrote the words, hate is strong, and it seems to mock this song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. What do you do when a prophetic promise is born into a world full of chaos and conflict? Because I want to suggest to you this morning that Longfellow did not write that poem in a time that you and I don't identify with. In fact, I would say to you today that we are living in the same culture that he was living in. When there are multiple signs around us that would make us believe that what the Messiah came to bring is no longer working, that there's really not peace on earth and there is not goodwill to men. 
Most of the account of Jesus' birth takes place in the book of Luke. We get all the primary stories that we talk about at Christmas time. The exception being the visit of what we call the Magi. That takes place in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew writing primarily to the Jews had to make sure that they understood that Jesus was not just any baby. But he was, as Herod portrayed earlier, of the lineage of David. He was their king. He was the one who had legal rights to the throne. And as he begins to tell that story, there are three primary characters that happen in the first nine verses of Matthew chapter 2 that all of you in the room would know the story of how they came. And I'm going to take those three characters. Two of them are very unfamiliar. One of them is very familiar. And I'm going to take the next few minutes and we're going to look at them. The three characters are Herod, who you saw this morning, who was the governor of Judea appointed by Rome, who for 34 years ruled that entire area of Palestine. He was a puppet of Rome, but yet he was one of the trophies of Rome. He was a man that had incredible intellect. He was the first guy to ever work with underwater construction in concrete. He built waterways that are still used today, 2,000 years later. He built seven palaces that all exceeded any palace that Rome had ever built. He lived in a bigger home than Caesar did. He was a man of con incredible conceit. He was one of those guys that represented something that I think we'll look at today and people will identify the fact that the spirit of Herod still lives in our world today. Second characters in this script are the scribes or the religious leaders. And the third are some men that come from the east who were not a part of the covenanted family but saw a sign in the heavens and it made them go looking for something they had never seen before. All three represent a response to Christmas time. We hear songs on the radio that says, Tis the season to be jolly. As I was praying this week, I, I don't normally think about Christmas jingles when I'm praying. But in the middle of praying, the Lord told me, I just changed my sermon title. He said, I want you to tell the folks Sunday morning that it tis the season to be you fill in the blank. Because this season will be whatever you choose it to be. There's not enough ornaments and decorations and Christmas parties to make you happy if you choose to not be happy. And there's not enough depression to make you sad if you choose to be glad. So what will be our response to his coming? Listen to me closely. This is not a Christmas message. It's actually a life lesson. B, 
because everybody in the room is confronted with the reality he came the issue is what are you going to do with his coming Holy Spirit I ask you to take these next few minutes speak to us clearly in Jesus name amen and amen Herod King Herod. One of the things that Herod represents, and if you're taking notes, you can write these down quickly, because Herod speaks to us of the hostility that becomes a reality in the world because, listen to me closely, because of Jesus' coming. I know we, we, we talk about the reality that Jesus comes to still the hostility, but let me, let me teach the Bible if I can. His coming creates conflict. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to just bring peace. I also came to bring a sword. Because my coming will always create conflict in people's lives. The hostility was evident, watch this, because Herod and Jesus, they were the antithesis of each other. His mere birth exposed something that had ruled the world. Let me tell you what Herod valued. Let's see if we can identify ourselves. Here's what Herod valued. Herod valued power. He wanted to be in control. He valued privilege. He wanted to live comfortable. And in seeking to keep Rome happy, he reproduced their system. And their system was one of, we maintain our control with a dominant military, we have manipulative politics, and we live a life of consumption. I ain't got no help. I'm going to try it over here. Here's how Rome said they will keep control of the world. We'll have a dominant military. We'll have manipulative politics. And we'll live a life of consumption. In other words, when I'm talking about consumption, I'm not just talking about eating and drinking. I'm talking about partying. I'm talking about sex. I'm talking about whatever it is that makes you happy. You have the right to consume it because after all, you are a consumer. And if I can keep the consumer happy, we can keep peace and keep everybody in control. In the, in the culture of Rome, listen to me closely. In the culture of Rome, more was the theme of the day. There was no such thing as contentment. That's, when Paul the, that's why when Paul the apostle come along and said, I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content, he was literally going counterculture because the culture he lived in was not contented with anything. Every day they got up, their whole drive in life was to have more, 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 more. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. More is not sin, but if you get more without purpose, it will always lead you to sin. I don't have any help. I'm going to preach over here. More, it's, not, it's not a sin for you to have more, but listen to me. If you continue to consume and obtain more and more and more and have no purpose for your more, it will lead you to sin. 
That's why the Bible is very plain. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. In other words, if you want more just to have more, it's going to lead you into a vulnerable place. And Herod was the, he was the picture of somebody who continually wanted more and more and more because he loved power. He also loved titles and positions. He loved to make sure he had some designation. Actually, history says that he went to Rome. And in going to Rome, the Roman Senate met and decided, watch this, they decided to appoint him. They gave him the designation as king of the Jews. When Herod made that statement today in the, in the drama you saw prior to the message, that was not made up. That was historically true. Herod had been called king of the Jews, but he had been appointed king of the Jews. And the reason they can make that appointment is because Caesar Augustus called himself son of God. Caesar Augustus, on the coins of Rome, where the title of Caesar Augustus was called Lord, Savior, and the maker of peace for all mankind. So when Jesus shows up in a world, and all of a sudden we got shepherds coming making announcements, and wise men showing up saying, there's somebody that here is going to be the Savior of the world. Rome goes, we already got a Savior. Sort of like the Republicans saying, we got a Savior. I ain't feeling no love, but I'm going to preach anyway. We already got one of those. And all of a sudden, Herod has this title, and his very title is confronted by the announcement of heaven. I mean, if you know, what, I wonder what happens when, when you stand up and say, I'm the boss of my life. And then a greater boss shows up. Maybe you got married. Maybe you found out that Jesus is a greater boss. Herod was not even a true Jew. He was a descendant of Saul. He was an Edomite. But his family converted to Judaism so that he could continue to hold some kind of dominance over the people that he was trying to rule. Isn't it amazing how many people will take on your characteristics so they can gain control over your life? I wished I had three hours today because there's more in here than I can preach in the next 20 minutes. But he, he loved recognition to the degree that he would not even die without making decrees on how his funeral would have to be held. Thousands of people showed up at his funeral, but there was no singing because nobody was sad that he died. They just were there by decree. Because he wanted to make sure. In fact, Herod's tomb today is still visible in Israel. If you go with us in February, you'll find that Herod's tomb still exists. It's one of the highest points in part of Israel that can be seen from miles away. Because he wanted to have recognition. The spirit of Herod still exists in our world today. 
Because our world is driven by power, privilege, titles, positions, and recognition. And the spirit of Herod shows up at our front door every single day. And we have to decide, what are you going to do with Jesus? Because in contrast, when Jesus is born, his value system is entirely different. And in fact, when those wise men showed up at Herod's house... They said to him, we came looking for him. Watch this. We didn't come looking for one who was appointed king of the Jews. We came to find him who is born king of the Jews. He has been the, given the legal right to the throne of God. He has been given legal heir to the place of authority and to the place where the kingdom of God shall rule from. Jesus lived his life. Watch this. Not, not one of throwing out his chest and puffing up, but he lived a life marked by humility. It's countercultural. If you don't believe that, go to work tomorrow and get in a big argument with somebody and find out what people think about the one who took the humble road. Your, your colleagues will call you weak, unwilling to stand up for yourself. The Bible calls that power. Because God says this, I can't help the proud. I only give grace to the humble. Humility is not weakness. Humility is strength. Jesus never touted his title. Watch this. He didn't use power to build himself up. He used power to build other people up. If you have power and you use it to build your own personal life, you're operating in the spirit of Herod. But if you use whatever influence and power that God has allowed you to have and you use it to empower other people, you're operating in the spirit of Christ. One day I was praying about our house and I said, God, I want the gate church to continue to grow and be healthy and to reach people. And I remember the Holy Spirit said to me, why? I'm willing to give recognition to people who want recognition for the right reason. But if recognition will make you feel good about who you are, even though you may not be in a healthy condition, recognition could be your downfall. But I'm here to announce to somebody today that the spirit of Jesus is alive in the world. And there are people that don't crave the platform. They don't crave the throne. They don't crave the titles. What they crave is an opportunity to give their life away so that other people can become better in the world in which they live. Have I got any Jesus followers in the house today? You say, but Bishop, I don't understand this. What are you talking about? Jesus showing up creates conflict. Listen to me. Listen to me closely. I didn't have to have, I've had people say this to me. Bishop, I, I've never had this much conflict. Before I got saved, I didn't have this conflict. Anybody in the room know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but before you got saved, you were nasty, get even with everybody you know self. Before you got saved, you were a do it to others before they do it to you. Before you got saved, you carried a chip on your shoulder and you told off everybody who came up that tried to chip it off. 
But now because you've become a believer and a follower of Christ, guess what? Now you have greater potential. You have more freedom. You have a hope that cannot be taken away from you. But in the midst of that, you have a world that wants to cut you down to size, wants to conform you to everybody else in your neighborhood. And when you stand up and say, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And as for my children, this is how we're going to live. And as for my days, this is how we're going to spend them. All of a sudden, you'll be conformed conflicted with the world around you but I believe there's some people in this room that understand what Jesus said in John 16 when he said in this world you will have continual tribulation but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world please listen to me the world is designed to resist you I'm helping somebody. The world is designed in its fallen nature to resist you. When Adam and Eve sinned, it did not just affect mankind. It affected the entire creative order. That's why Jesus coming He didn't come just to redeem people. He came to redeem creation. There were no weeds in your garden until the fall of man. There were no thorns and thistles until the fall of man. And because of the fall, because sin entered the world, the world now is designed to resist Jesus' followers. Let me tell you how much it made made Jesus uncomfortable. Hold on to your seat because it's about to get bumpy. Because of the hostility of his birth and because the world so resists anything that is Jesus-like, it caused Jesus and his family to have to flee their homeland and become refugees seeking asylum in Egypt. Yes, Louise, Jesus was a part of a caravan. And he did it to save his life. So when you watch the news tonight, make sure you don't see it through Herod's eyes. Make sure you see it through Jesus' eyes. Because of that hostility, it led Herod to create a genocide of thousands of Hebrew boys under the age of two. They were murdered so he could keep control. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Don't ever be surprised by the measure people will go to to keep their power. Come on, come on. It's a part of the Herod nature. 
People would say, but, but I don't understand. Jesus was no threat to him. I don't, I don't know why Herod had to do that. Jesus was not any threat to him. I mean, after all, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Listen to me closely. Jesus did say, my kingdom is not of or from this world. But his implication is it didn't come from here, but it's going to operate in here. My kingdom is not of this world, but my kingdom is in this world. I just lost about half the congregation. No, no, no. The kingdom doesn't come when you die and go to heaven. The kingdom is here now. And the conflict of the kingdom is not whether there's a big devil trying to keep you from your Mercedes. The big conflict is how much that enemy shows up in your life and tries to keep you in a Herod identity where you continue to live with pride that continually is being confronted or you continually are confronted over your unforgiveness. Oh, ain't nobody going to help me. Because, see, we love, we love to build political campaigns with the big sins. We're after homosexuality. We're after adultery. We're after all the big visible sins. But may I suggest to you that God just as much hates greed. He just as much hates domination of other people. He just as much hates an ideology that diminishes other people's values. I believe he hates an attitude towards the poor. I believe today the kingdom has come. It is in the world and it is challenging everything about our lives. Jesus can never be in power in our lives until the things in our life is disempowered. Preaching good, Bishop. Keep preaching. See, the truth of the matter is, is that Herod was more discerning than most Christians. He recognized if I was going to make room for Jesus, then I got to get off my throne. See, we live in a world today where Christians want Jesus for their benefit, not for his. We want Jesus so I can be a good citizen. We want Jesus so I can be financially blessed. We want Jesus so I have a good marriage. We don't want Jesus so he can really be king and Lord and savior and master and redeemer and boss of my life and tell me what to do. Herod understood something we need to understand. If Jesus is going to show up, then guess what? I'm not going to be able to sit on the throne of my life. There's something inside of me. Either Herod's going to rule in my life, and I'm going to sit here and determine where I live, where I work, where I go, where I worship, when I give, when I don't give, or else I'm going to have to get out of this chair and say, Jesus, you be the Lord of my life, and you tell me where to live and where to work and where to worship and what to do. Oh, I wish I had some help in the room. That's why this is not a Christmas story. This is a life story. Because listen to me closely, Jesus did not come to take sides Jesus came to take over. 
And anytime, watch this, anytime I am more committed to being my political persuasion or I'm more committed to being Nigerian or Mexican or American or English or whatever, when I'm more committed to that than I am being committed to Jesus, somebody better help me, that means that Herod is still alive in me. But you don't understand, Bishop, that's, that's my culture. Where I come from, that's my culture. No, no, no. Ding, 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 ding. I'm your wake-up call. Not if you're born again. Because if you're born again, you're not born from the earth. You're born from the heavens. And in that kingdom, there is no such thing as Nigerian. In that kingdom, there is no such thing as Mexican. In that kingdom, there is no such thing as white, black, male, female, bond, free, educated, uneducated. In that kingdom, they're just sons and daughters of the Most High God. So do you believe Herod's still alive? You better believe it. And he represents the hostility. Let me get done. The second group is the religious scribes. This amazed me. Watch this. Herod goes to the people's high priest and the scribes, the religious leaders of his day. And he says to them, where is this Messiah, this king of the Jews, to be born? And watch this. They immediately told him. Oh, he's to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. For the, the prophets have declared out of Bethlehem of Judea is going to come forth a Savior who will rule the world. The world, signified by Herod, didn't even know where he was. They just knew he was somewhere. The religious people knew where he was. But watch this. The religious people knew where he was, but they were not passionate enough to go after him. Been studying a lifetime. The Bible. But not affectionate enough towards the one they've been studying to leave their house and go find it. Wonderful church people. Do you know about, oh, I can quote, I can quote 50 verses. I even know there's 66 books in the Bible. I know there's 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. I know everything about the Bible. I don't care if you know the Bible. That's like knowing an algebra book. Do you know the God of the Bible? Because if you know the Bible and don't know who the Bible's about and who the Bible's trying to point you to, you are doubly dead. I feel the Christmas spirit. Praise the Lord. So Herod revealed their hostility and the scribes revealed their apathy. 
In fact, Jesus, when he grew up, tells a parable in Luke 14 about this very thing. He says in Luke 14, he says, The master has prepared a banqueting table. And watch this. He says to his servants, Go tell all those who have been invited. In other words, don't miss what I'm about to say. Every time God does something in the earth, he first comes to his own. We'll try that over here. He first comes to his own. That's been the pattern throughout history. God first comes to his own. But the pattern throughout history is his own are so apathetic they don't care. So he ends up having to go to people that are not churchy in order to move his kingdom forward. So he says, go to those who are invited and tell them to come. And the Bible says they one by one began to make excuse. And watch this, their excuses were not foolishness. They weren't saying like, well, I'm going to a ball game or, you know, I'm, I'm just tired. That's not, that's the excuses we come up with today. But I mean, they had, they had what we would call legitimate excuses. One of them said, I just made a real estate deal and I need to have to go to the closing. The other one said, I just started a company and my startup is demanding my time. I just bought five yokes of oxen. I need to get my company going. The third one said, I just got married. I got to take care of my house first. I mean, I got to take care of my family matters after all. And all of them together had this attitude. Surely God understands my busyness. Surely he knows that. And the Bible says in Luke 14, and the master of the banquet, here's what the Bible says. It says, and he became angry. And he said to his slaves, servants, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come. There's a room at my banqueting table. Compel them to come. And the Bible says they go into the streets and they invite everybody they know. And people come, and he comes back, and he says, is there any seats left? And they said, yes, there are still seats left. And here's what he says. He says, now go back then and get the lame, the blind, the halt, the people that are disadvantaged, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Watch this. For those who were first invited will never eat of this banquet. I look around and I'm thinking, you know what? Uh, if I'm not careful, I have a pastoral staff. We can spend our whole life trying to chase saints. People that have been walking with Jesus five years, 10 years, 15 years, and you don't know whether they're here, whether they're not here, when they come in, when they're not come in. They miss three weeks in a row, four weeks in a row, and we can spend our whole life chasing after those people. And I just said, you know what? Somebody got to draw a line in the sand. If the people that are invited don't want to come to the banquet, then we will go to the blind, the halt, the lame, the addicts, the single parents, those who've been disadvantaged, those who don't feel like they got any privilege, those who don't have any church pedigree, and don't believe they deserve the front row we'll go to whosoever will and say come on baby come on sir we got a place for you at the banquet there's still a seat left because my house is going to be full 
I know Christians who tell me, man, I got a lot of things. I got a lot of suppers to prepare for Christmas time. I can't be in church on Christmas Eve. I got to get dinner ready. But yet we say, it's his birthday. But it becomes about our celebration. I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just reading the Bible. I don't have an attitude. I'm just reading the Bible. So Herod is alive in the world. Religious scribes are alive in the world. The only body, the only people left, just play for me, Jonathan. The only people left are magi. People who have no covenant rights, no history. They're not in power. They just can read the heavens. They can recognize when heaven's making a shift. And when heaven makes a shift, it creates a shift in their life. And you know what? As I, as I prayed this week, I knew, I know, preaching, just preaching. I'm just, I thought it's just a Christmas series, but I thought as I'm preaching it, I'm going to do exactly what happened with Herod that day. I'm going to upset some people. And I can't tell you how glad I got as I was praying about that. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't ever want to offend somebody. Let me tell you something. If I can offend you enough to where you once again get curious about going after him, I would offend you every day of the week. And at the end of the day, you would thank me. Because that day, the appointed king never saw him. The religious people never saw him. But some wise men who went after him, found him. That's the key word. It says, and they found him. Jeremiah said, seek for me, for you will find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, God may be hidden for a moment from you because he's looking for some searching out of your life where you're willing to say, I am willing to turn aside to see where is he. I got to find him. I got to find him in this problem. I got to find him in this opportunity. I got to find him in the midst of my day. Where is he? Because listen to me closely. Herod said this, go find him. And when you find him, come tell me and I'll come worship too. But here's the point. You're never going to be a part of the worship if you aren't a part of the search. People don't truly worship who have not truly searched. So tis the season to be angry because every time Jesus has talked about it, it reveals something in me that's not like him. Tis the season to be apathetic and take him for granted and 
know everything about him but never receive the benefits of a relationship with him? Or tis the season to be a pursuer. I hate cliches, but wise men really do still seek him. Father, I'm asking you today in Jesus' name all over this room, as your spirit speaks to people's hearts, I pray that you'll teach us that at this Christmas season, you are our king. There's nobody like you. Everything in me today that's not like you, I pray that you'll reveal it. Everything that's not passionate about going after you, I pray you'll awaken and stir the fire so that we, like Magi of old, can say, this is my season to search for him with all of my heart. In G.